Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello friends, Edith here. How are you? Welcome along to episode 296 of my podcast, Soundtracking. 296. That is crazy. But I feel exactly the same about this podcast as I did back in August 2016 when we launched it. I love it. With every episode, I learn so much and it feeds my curiosity, genuine intrigue and, let's be frank, nosiness about the craft and the creation of TV, film, music and so many other things. And I Absolutely love making this show and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Every show for me whilst I'm doing the interviews, the research and preparation for those interviews is a different experience. I enjoy that side of it as much as I enjoy doing the interviews is kind of diving into the worlds of these individuals, whether that be watching old interviews, listening to things, reading things, watching the films, listening to the music. It is an absolute treat. What a perk of the job. And with this particular episode, I don't really know where to start. I mean, I'd probably say legend alert, to be honest, because our latest guest on soundtracking is not only the lead guitarist and keyboardist and many other instrumentalists of things, of one of the greatest bands on planet Earth, but has also transitioned with huge success into the realms of movie scoring. Johnny Greenwood, ladies and gentlemen, has formed a formidable partnership with Paul Thomas Anderson since providing the music for There Will Be Blood. And he's also worked with Lynn Ramsey, Pablo Laran and Jane Campion, who are esteemed company indeed. He's also one of the most understated and humble people you could ever wish to meet. I can't tell you how long I've been trying to get Johnny on the show and... I can't tell you how nervous I was about our conversation because I just wanted him to have a nice time. I just wanted him to feel comfortable about talking about the work that he does. And I wanted you as fans of his work to get an insight into what he does and how he does it. So we'll get into his collaborations with all the aforementioned great filmmakers during the course of the conversation. But we're going to begin with a song from Johnny's debut solo album, Body Song, called Moon Mail. Thank you. 
Yay. Hello, Edith. How are you? Yay. I'm good, Johnny. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I don't know if you remember, but I was very lucky to present you with an award a couple of years ago. I think it was an Ivan Avello. And um, I, I kind of cornered you then and I was like, please come on my podcast at some point. <laughs> yes. And it took me this, this long to actually write and ask. I'm sorry. Don't be daft better late than never. Well, I feel like the now is a good place to start, to be honest, because I mentioned Pablo and this amazing score for Power of the Dog with Jane. Can we go back, if, if that's all right, to talk about where and how and why you made that step or even if it felt like a step into creating music for kind of move an image in a way for for film really i mean it was really just invitations from from paul thomas anderson and and then lynn i just felt like meeting people and then doing music for them rather than getting too mired in a, in a slightly frightening swamp of professional <laughs> soundtrack writing <laughs> I, mean, I do occasionally get emails from frightening people in los angeles saying would you like your name to be put forward for the shortlist of composers considered for this project, which I can't tell you the name of, but it's going to be a big film. And it's just so sort of blank and anonymous and off-putting that I'm luckily don't have to get into that sort of side of it, which, yeah. which looks, looks gruesome. Instead, well, it tends to be directors just contacting me and, and having time to do it. There'd been a relationship there. There'd been a connection. There'd been a, a way of, of kind of communicating I guess creative visions in a way, with that, whether that be visually or, or with music, I guess as well. Yeah, and I think I've been very indulged and have been lucky to keep getting directors who tend to have music very prominently in their films. They all seem to have long sections with no music and then sections with just music, rather than lots of underscore and lots of you know action going on that needs something quiet and a little bit bland but a little bit exciting at the same time running for 15 minutes lots of films seem to which just looks like you know looks like a nightmare to me to have to write that stuff <laughs> it's a different writing process than writing with a band to write and score music it's sort of similar i suppose and it's lots of the same technology and lots of techniques from working with radiohead is it the same yeah, I mean, I, I always compare it to being in a band with with a director and editor and people who are making a film. It's still, it's I quite enjoy that um, suddenly getting to know you know a group of people and and feeling like you're in a band with them. Yeah, and are working for the same cause. I'd quite like to see Paul Thomas Anderson in a band. What do you think his role <laughs> would be in the band? <laughs> so, I saw him a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. Um, we were hanging out, and he started playing the drum kit and. Honestly, I didn't know where to look. <laughs> it's gruesome. <laughs> yeah, stick to the filmmaking, Paul, please. Sure. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> what was so nice about kind of doing some preparation for chatting to you today was just luxuriating in, in just some of the films that you've worked in. I oh, It's been so long since I watched There Will Be Blood and it was such a great experience to go back and and revisit that. And I think that that's such a nice thing. We're so lucky, aren't we, to have this library of things to be able to dive into and go back and go, do you know what? I'm going to watch There Will Be Blood today. And I, and it was just, it was great to be encouraged to do that. What do you remember about that that film in particular and, and what was kind of presented to you? Because I'm interested to find out where you, when you come on board, but also how the project with Paul anyway, and we'll talk about 
Len and, and, and Pablo and also Jane as well. But how does it come to you? Does he just, does he, do you have a conversation about what he's working on or does he send you a script or do you go and watch it being filmed or is it always different? It tends to be a question of um, starting very early in projects with all these directors actually. And it's just an excuse to write lots of music. And mm -hmm. I often feel a little bit ashamed that I'm probably thinking about the soundtrack album slightly earlier than I should be in every project, <laughs> just because there'll be a great group of musicians coming and I'll probably write more music than is needed. And I will have just, you know, it's a terrible admission. I'll have like quarter of an eye on releasing this stuff anyway. Great. Um, it's good but for it's us. Just, <laughs> but it's just, a, just because you know that um, the players are going to be great mm. and it's such an opportunity and you will cover the music that you know is needed, but also get the, get to sort of play because it's just, you know, it's amazing. It's like a, it's like a sweet shop. It's like going into a, yeah. to starting a project. You just think there's so many different kinds of instruments and players and approaches to music and ways of making music. It's just, that's the, that's kind of the fun part really. Yeah. Just sort of just trying to narrow it down to a few things and then, and play on those. I had to drive down to Bristol yesterday. So I, I had um, all the, all your appearances on Dr. Buckles's podcast over the years uh, lined up to listen to on my drive. It was such a great, it was such a great journey of just hearing you two chat over the years and, and listen to those podcasts. And what just comes across is just how much you love what you do, whether that be with, you know, the band or whether it be with writing music for film. It's just your enthusiasm's just, you might find this kind of weird, but it, it's really infectious because you genuinely, you never hear band members talking about how much they love going on tour or how much they love, you know, being in that world all the time. And it's, it's so, such a breath of fresh air really to listen to someone genuinely talk about how much they love what they do. And you saying that about, you know, the idea of writing a score, it gives you an opportunity to play, gives you an opportunity to create, gives you an opportunity to bring in musicians from wherever they are, whatever it is that they, that they play. So that's not really a question. That was just me having an observation from listening to you. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd. I'm so, I'm so lucky and also have, um, yeah, have, I just feel like I'm doing what I always wanted to do, which isn't something that most people get. And that is a huge honor. And, mm. and I also feel like it's just, it still feels really limitless, which is yeah. exciting. Having said that, I seem to be <laughs> sort of repeating myself. I keep getting asked about, you know, why I'm doing all this Baroque stuff. So time time to move on but that's it's nice to kind of have a feeling of just having a deadline and having some music yeah. that needs to be written and having yeah. a reason to write it rather than just writing it for you know you get to hide a little bit behind the fact that it's for a project and, yeah. and for, it's for someone else i like that i really like that yeah did you have a similar experience where because I was, I was listening to that story you're telling adam about when you went to see the fall it was your first gig i think you said mm -hmm. and you had that kind of quite unexplainable reaction to it in that it just affected you kind of really physically in a way and emotionally in terms of like well, well this is amazing did you have a similar thing with film at all in terms of be that with a particular film or with music within a film where you were kind of really affected by by something at some point in, in your life about the kind of I guess the power of that relationship that's hard to answer because I, I think most common reaction to, to good film music is going to look for the soundtrack record. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember the, the Jerry Goldsmith scores being all amazing. And, mm -hmm. and I remember hunting out, you know, 
scores for things like um uh, the french connection and but i'm not very up on it i don't really know the names of many film composers and i don't mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, it's it's sort of not my world in a way. I feel, a, which is why I feel a tiny bit fraudulent working in it. I'm not very sort of film literate, and I get into lots of embarrassing situations with Paul, where he's asking me um, if I've seen certain films, and the answer is almost always no. So, yeah, <laughs> it's nothing it's wrong with about... that. I, I'm the same. I just I come at it with an emotion, and you know, and kind of a reaction. I think I I'm going to dive into a bit of um, there will be blood really because um. I just wanted to ask about what you, yeah, how you approached starting to write for that musically. He, well, he just took that recording from, it was written for the concert orchestra, BBC concert orchestra. And he got hold of a, a bootleg that someone in the audience had taken and, and had put it up against the film. And just, he said, can you write more music like this? And also um, things that are just a bit more tender for the other parts of the story. And he'd heard the score to Body Song. He'd seen Body Song in a film festival. Mm-hmm. I think that was really what, that's why he thought about me originally. So, um, yeah, so it was just a, suddenly writing all these short pieces of music for that were based around the landscape and the characters. And, I mean, again, it wasn't really scene to scene. It was more, here's a, here's a suite of pieces, here's a library of things. Yeah. Suite is a very pretentious, but, you know, here's a whole, <laughs> yeah. um, here's a playlist of, of music, some of which was just even, you know, written and recorded with the instruments and then given to him there were no demos it was just yeah um i think there's only one or two or three things in that whole score that were actually written to picture written to and even those were done you know without any kind of click track just as a sort of he said i need some music that sounds a bit like um the jaws theme that sounds like the predator (laughs) kind of um as he's buying up all of the land as daniel playing these kind of predatory and so that's was that was the cue future markets came from that again it was okay that's great here's four or five minutes of music that has that mm. sort of feeling to it so i don't know you know music could be edited so well now nowadays and so easily that things being too long or even too fast or slow is is usually something that can be you know tweaked had you seen any of the performances had you seen you know any of that before writing anything or yeah i'd seen some of the test footage and some of the early you know very long cuts of just to get a sense of the characters and mm. uh, and the landscape and colors and all of that stuff and i knew the yeah. script as well so that's already loads of you know impetus to start writing and coming up with yeah. ideas and how do you what's the journey from those conversations so you know you've, you've read the script you've seen some clips and stuff you've had the conversation with paul do you have a place that you start do you sit down at a 
do you sit down at a keyboard do you pick up the guitar or is it just is it an instinctive thing of kind of what you're I don't know what it feels like yeah it tends to be piano and paper and hmm. um just recordings some phone recordings even end up in the film or end up you know brilliant copied in the film which is insane <laughs> but he likes he likes as he puts it the uh clumsy way that I've pick my way through the song the you know the, the tunes so um that's kind of the process unless it's you know electronic stuff and it just becomes it's I don't know like I say yeah. you can just go in it's it's feels kind of limitless really yeah they kind of almost like it's interesting you mentioned Jaws there because that kind of there's almost a sort of horror tone to some of the bits and some of the score and mm. there will be blood and yep. you know that kind of opening cue the sort of painful strings as that kind of landscapes unveiled as he's kind of crawling away from the mine and the kind of the sort of enormous nature of the landscape of where does he got to go kind of thing. And then you have this sort of lovely kind of gentler moments that come in. And I just think, and then when you hear piano for the first time as well, it's really sort of kind of a phys like a bit of a jolt, like kind of physical. It's sort of, it's so, it feels really amazing how the music's is so weaved into the character's state of mind and, and reaction to things that when you hear different instrumentation, it kind of like really shifts you and moves you as a, as a viewer sort of thing. I didn't know if that was on purpose or not. Yeah, so what happened with that first piano cue was he had a demo of me playing just the first half of it, like the first four chords of it pretty much with the, with the piano and Martino and mm. played it over and over again. And then he had to just sort of have so many repeats of it, I needed to write more material in the same style. So it was that sort of back and forth, which is really helpful as well and, you know, means the two things are kind of growing together rather than, yeah. One thing being imposed on another right at the end.
I also think as well, it's so important to to know when to not use music. And there's a really good example of of you know the obvious thing for a lot of directors would have been to so that that moment where he leaves you know leaves him on the train. Uh, it would have been so easy to put a piece of music on there to kind of almost heighten the emotion and manipulate the audience in a way, but he didn't, and it makes it even more powerful. Mm-hmm. But then we do get that piece coming in when he's reminiscing, and you get those flashbacks. It's so clever, just even those comparing those two scenes of, you know, he's he's in a similar kind of state of mind as a parent and his his choices and things. But it's uh, it's so interesting the use of music and the use of not using music. Yeah, it's. Like I say, I feel like all the directors I've worked with have been similar in a way in that they're all quite averse to that just blanket spread of of, of noise and background, yeah. like a sort of big paintbrush over the whole thing, <laughs> because it just takes away, the, like you say, the effect of the silence and also the effect of music starting up. And I think, you know, separating those two out is really, is really important. Yeah. And there's something just exhausting as well about lots of background music in films isn't there it just yeah you know it just becomes like a drone or a tone or just sort of something that's whereas the sounds that are being made on screen are often so much more exciting and interesting yeah and yeah definitely with phantom thread you know in terms of this i mean it's such a beautiful score it's really you know that kind of lush almost old school hollywood nature to it in a way what were the conversations that you had about with him about that going into that and starting to work on that score? Oh, it was me saying that this score should be really small and minimal and empty <laughs> and him saying he wanted big-ass strings. Which, Is that so, good? Did it terrify uh, you or excite you? Oh, it was it was fine because I first was a bit um, wary because I thought this can't be a sort of pastiche. This, and that, was, that made me really anxious. And then I realised I couldn't really write that stuff in a pastiche anyway i mean that's as good as i can write it if you see what i mean it's not like yeah. i'm i'm stooping to sort of do something beneath me far the opposite I'm, it's like i'm trying to work out how that sort of romantic 50 stuff sounds and so i'm trying i'm doing my best version of it hmm. um so it's all meant to be sincere it's all meant to be um you know genuinely romantic and and all of those things which being english you feel you know <laughs> awkward about trying going for but that that was That was the motivation behind it, yes. Because you start when we, you know, the first kind of cue that we hear is that that beautiful House of Woodcock. And then you just feel like you're on this sort of, it really just, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a, weirdly, it's like a comfort blanket in a way. It's kind of, it's just this gorgeous thing that envelops you. 
And I, I was so just so excited. I remember watching it the first time and kind of just hearing that piece of music and being excited about what I was going to hear from the score next, mm-hmm. you know, where it was going to go kind of wow. thing. But where, when was that piece written? Was that piece written at the start of when you started working on that on that project? Because I wondered if it was a kind of, for you, if it was a sort of a gateway into the rest of the score because it's just got this wonderful, almost welcoming in as you kind of start the film, I think. Yeah, it was. it became the main theme quite quickly. Was certainly being sent to him while he was sending me all the test footage in the first, you know, first long edits as usual. Yeah, yeah it was just from listening to lots of lots of fifties music and just trying to do that thing of feeling like the score is being conducted to picture by someone mm. who's just reading score of paper, Lovely. which is how they used to do it, which is just which is amazing to me. Mm. And there was you know no computer showing you where the clicks are going to be. You just have to have a very competent conductor who can change tempo every few bars and make things and hit certain points and all of that sort of approach to it, which I think is really, you know, which I really enjoy. And I'm wary when there's a sort of uh, a tempo that's constant and the players are all playing to it and it doesn't move. And because, you know, performances aren't, aren't usually like that. And yeah. It's a shame that sort of gets forgotten when you do computer demos. You tend to sort of put in your 120 BPM at the start and it's still there at the end and yeah and it's just sort of you know computers can give you lots of freedom but can also put you on a weird grid put you on a sort of tracks that are hard to hard to get off sometimes yeah so yeah it's 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 you know it's using technology for the things it's best at however old or new it is i think that's Mm. what i try and do anyway How important is it for you to see see that footage to to kind of feel the performances and see the performances? It's the most important. I mean, all you can really get from scripts and you know first discussions is ideas about stuff and instruments, and then it, then as soon as there's test footage. Same. I mean, it's a good example is with Spencer when that Pablo sent me literally the first thing they'd filmed, which yeah. was. Diana walking around the grounds of the castle and he was following her with um, just a held camera and, and it was all really claustrophobic and really sort of right up behind her and, and she was looking like she's in, in some sort of, you know, Hitchcock horror. And it was really like, it made it clear that anything that was slightly claustrophobic and, and overbearing and, and, and frightening in the music 
would totally work and and it wasn't you know it wasn't going to be the crown it wasn't going to be you know downtown abbey Mm. it was going to be something far more um you know oppressive and that was exciting and that's what made me think of all of the the approaches for that great to speak to Pablo about that and talk about the kind of almost these these brilliant contradictions with the music you know that kind of baroque and then the jazz that kind of comes in and these sort of two sides that are I guess there are excuse me the sort of two sides to her emotions and her world it must be kind of fun where you get to play with with kind of genre so to speak in 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 one film well it was just thinking that if you transported a jazz band back 400 years they wouldn't be that out of their depth in terms of the instruments to play and the musicians to play with. It's all mm. quite a lot of weird similarities. I mean, there's even improvising in, in Baroque music and always has been. There's always, you get the, I don't know if you've seen um, harpsichord parts, but they're often just numbers, so-called figured bass, where you're told the inversion of the chord um, with numbers and they improvise around it, they play around it. And that, you know, Mm. And that's so there's there's kind of improvising on both sides, which was really interesting to see happen. talking about this as well on one of Adam's shows about the idea of taking of going on the road with film scores you know and going mm-hmm. around to little cinemas and playing the scores live and I know you've done it a few times um I saw a couple of those at the festival hall and there's nothing better than hearing a score 
played live whilst you're watching a film. I've even taken my kids to see to the Star Wars at the Royal Albert Hall, and that mm-hmm. and it kind of blew their little minds. What I remember my um my oldest saying to me, I think he was about nine or ten at the time, and he's like, I didn't realise there was so much music in it, Mum, because you physically hmm. see these musicians playing non-stop. You know, no wonder they needed to have an interval in the middle because there's just so much music. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it's there's nothing it better than that than that. I, I imagine that's something you're, you know, as things are obviously opening up and things as well as hopefully at some point getting the opportunity to do, I mean, to, I don't know how easy it would be to see the, to do the Spencer score live. Yeah, we discussed it and it seemed like it might be happening. And then it's weird because there's only a few cues in it that have a big string orchestra. So it was just, um, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't make it work sadly, but the jazz players were totally up for it. And yeah, I mean, that's quite a fraudulent score in a way because <laughs> I think of how little material they were handed on paper and the, and the amazing music that they made with it. It's just, you know, they just created so much, you know, atmosphere and how they played and how they, you know, oh, it's amazing. Byron mm. Wallen especially. I mean, all of them. Uh, John Edwards, double bass player, just just ridiculous. He's like an animal, the, the sounds he was making <laughs> uh, and the, the way he was managing to play, oh, it's just ridiculous. Do you have a collection of musicians that you you use for scores or is each project you kind of how does it work with with the musicians that you work with on on the different scores it's usually people i know or friends of friends having said that i'm really lucky that i can write to somebody sort of out of the blue and say will you come and play and they've <laughs> quite often heard of the films and are excited to do it yeah so again that's a huge privilege and, you know, that's how I found the uh, French horn players for, um, for Power of the Dog, mm-hmm. things like that. It's like, I can just, it's absurd, but I have, you know, I can um, think of an instrument, I can find a player or get a player recommended and write to them. And that's, it's like a sort of, I, I do this stuff, I work alone on this stuff, which I, which is really fun. 
but it just means I'm quite slow and it takes ages to, to finish a project. I don't really have arrangers or, um, so it's funny. I had like an opportunity a couple of years ago where someone very professional was talking to me and saying, you really just, you just take, you got to hire some people, an assistant or have a bunch of assistants, get some people, you know, help out and do more than one or two films a year and just, and go for it. That was my chance to do it. And I just sort of balked at the idea because it just felt like, Hey, I'd, I'd been, I'd have be telling people what to do, which I'm no good at anyway. And also <laughs> I'd be missing out the fun stuff, which is orchestrating and arranging. And that's, you know, I think some people hate that. And some people like the kind of slightly nerdy crosswordy side of that is <laughs> it's really satisfying and a lovely test as well, that when people come and play the stuff, that the ideas that work and the ideas that really don't teach you all about it. And, but again, it's a, look, I'm so indulged I, that I get, I get to make those mistakes and I still, mm. and I have time and budget to, to, you know, waste, you know, an hour of a musician's time or something that doesn't work. And lots of soundtrack composers don't get that and they have to do it perfectly right. And they just work under this pressure. That's just yeah. insane. So as I'm sure, you know, I mean, I, you know, you've talked to all these people and you know that it's like, it's really interesting, you know, cause insane. everyone's, yeah, everyone's journey's so, so different. It's so unique to them, you know, and the choices they make and how they, how they how and who they choose to work with really mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit about lynn ramsey i love lynn sure oh i love lynn so much she's brilliant how did you guys start working together was it an, another case of she reached out to you or yeah just out of the blue for um we need to talk about kevin and she's so talented she's an amazing photographer as well as everything else and yeah i don't know and i saw that f- black and white film of her the swim what's it called the swimmer the one about mm-hmm. you know the fresh water and it's just so be- so amazing so lovely and and Marvin Carla as well of course and oh yeah I thought, felt like that was written about me ridiculous. when I saw that film really okay yeah when I oh, my little beautiful. so amazing like yeah I just felt like she was kind of I was connected to it so much because I'm from a little fishing village in Scotland and it was just kind of like god that's feels so much my world I just yeah wow. I, I think kind of latched onto her immediately. I was like, tell me more stories. <laughs> yeah. She's just, and she's so, um, you know, she's just bursting with enthusiasm and ideas and, you know, and it's great. So modest. Yeah, I know. Oh. And, you know, I'm still, she's got some really exciting projects and films that keep getting slightly delayed and pushed back, but hopefully the next one, um, we're already talking about ideas for it. I really hope it happens. Really hope. Oh, great! You were never really here. I thought was was uh, an, an extraordinary film. I, I absolutely loved that. I was lucky enough actually to talk to her. Um, I went up to Glasgow Film Festival. It was part of that. God, it's a few years ago now. Um, to talk about it, it was brilliant. With a in front of a live audience, it was really nice. Actually, we played clips and chatted about the film. It was it was really really nice. And um, <laughs> just nice to hear her talk about her her kind of process and you know, how and where she comes up with the ideas and how collaborative she is as well, particularly with her on-screen talent as well as her off, you know, behind-the-camera talent as well. Yeah, no, she's for sure coming up with ideas and instruments as well. I think we, uh, we came for, we need to talk about Kevin. It was her that suggested the harp with metal strings. So, you know, she's, again, totally part of the long run-up and process and discussions before anything is even filmed or recorded. But I love that. But I know that for real soundtrack composers, it's a case of, it's quite often a case of, here's the finished film. The music has to fit this. The demos need to sound 
um, like the finished thing, and then the finished thing needs to copy the demos, which in turn are from temporary music written by other people, and it needs to be done in the next three weeks, and you need to have no sleep for the next two weeks so that it's finished in time. And there are three producers that need to sign off every single cue to say that they're happy with it, and if one they're not happy, it's got to be. Re- this is the stories you hear, wow. or you know, the music has to be. It's the last we can change in this film, and it, the scene's not exciting enough, so let's change the music because. Can you make the film nuts. good, basically? <laughs> oh, it's just—it's nuts. And then at the end of the process, it's like, thanks for doing the score. Your importance in this is somewhere below makeup in terms of what the director really, you know, rates. Which is what I mean about being so lucky to have, you know, people like Paul and Lynn yeah. to work for. It's obviously the opposite. So yeah, lucky me. I was lucky enough to host a Q and A with Jane Campion and some of the cast for Power of the Dog, and I was totally starstruck by Jane I was so kind of I felt about eight when I was um about to go and chat I was so nervous because I just the piano is a film that I've I've talked about loads with people and it's been quite interesting that it's come up in conversation so much just in terms of such a unique beast in terms of the power and the use the purpose of music within that specific film how did the power of the dog come to you what were the, the conversations with Jane around that it was an email from Tanya, her producer, and then from Jane as well. Jane often communicated with um, like handwritten notes that had been uh, photographed and emailed to me. Oh, that's so brilliant. cute. I so love that. Tells you all you need to know about her because they're so long and detailed as well as, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, she's, she's amazing. She's sort of, she, she does the thing of deciding she wants to work with you and then suddenly putting loads of unexpected trust in what you're about to do. <laughs> so she'll sort of say, um, she's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite alarming. And so she doesn't mind that we made mistakes and we recorded things that were, you know, sort of bad ideas and start. And, but then it's time to do it again. There's lots of, there was a luxury of, of doing these, some um, lots of bad banjo music because it led to other ideas and that did work. simplistic nature of so much of that i mean it probably wasn't simplistic for you to to create and make and stuff but even you know the 25 years cue and this this kind of lovely sort of again it's kind of really transportative it's sort of oh it's it's simplistic because it's me playing the cello <laughs> and, I, and it's, again is it's it the like cello is it it is a cello yeah it sounds like a guitar but it's That's a, yeah it's a, yeah cello being played like a guitar well like a banjo
I've got a cello called um now well my wife thinks it's the name of the schoolboy who owned it, but I think it's the name of the cello. It's called Stephen Bennett. <laughs> I have got it right here. Check it out. Oh wow. <laughs> and these are all the marks on the on the um uh, on the fingerboard to show me where the actual notes are in tune. And that's, <laughs> and that's Stephen Bennett. And he was two hundred and fifty pounds huh. from a shop in Whitney, and I love him very much. But um yeah. It's a pleasure and, to meet you. Well, sure. <laughs> it's such a schoolboy name as well, isn't it? Stephen Bennett. You can <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> and his mother's kind of really perfect felt tip handwriting on the sticker in the middle of it. It's really <laughs> so please return yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, and I nearly I very nearly had that sort of well, listen, I'm a cello player now. I can totally go and buy a real cello. I'm this is you know, and I really nearly did that awful thing of, you know, because I can and could afford it, I nearly went and bought an, a real. Yeah. Luckily, I realised that Stephen is, is plenty good enough for the way I yeah. use him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of life in him yet. Um, yeah. Can you Do you feel like you're still learning then, whether it's what you can get out of instruments or what you can create or finding a new instrument to, to play and incorporate into to your work? The biggest lesson is that every single player can bring out of their instrument thousands of different colors for every single note they play and that's what's limitless and just when i'm kind of when i'm really excited and enjoying computers and programming and and doing that side of things i find myself rebounding back to the classical stuff and classical players and jazz players and stuff just because you realize they have far more variable in what they can do and that when mm. you're using software quite often all you're really doing is moving two or three of these numbers around and you're changing filters and rhythms and sounds and it's changing a bit but when someone is using their fingers or their breath it's just more chaotic more mm-hmm. randomness to it or and just more you know you'll record the same thing three times and they're all so different that kind of thing whereas when you record electronic stuff it's usually sort of pretty much the same and that stuff can be exciting and then it sort of can suddenly feel a bit boring yeah. so I'm, I'm bouncing i feel like a kind of ball between these two things when the band are asked to have their music involved in in film do you kind of get involved in whether that's a kind of green light or not yeah we all we'll all get an email saying you know that this has been suggested and usually go and see the film yeah it's something we don't really do very often Denise nerve um in prisoners i think it was codex he used and um he um i spoke to him recently for uh for june and he he's properly a Radiohead super fan. Like he's when he starts talking about the band, it's really really sweet to see his face and how the, his facial reactions when he 
when he starts talking about um about the band it's really it's really lovely when you see people mm -hmm. kind of react like that to things that they genuinely kind of kind of love and it was interesting because trying to think of 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 examples of of where the music sat and in films I think Vanilla Sky was another one that I remember and Children of Men as well but yeah I didn't know whether it was something that you you what yeah what kind of I guess you've just got to agree with the with the whole project really before you say yes yeah and also you know there are some songs that were written for films like exit music and and it would always feel weird to for that to go anywhere else so yeah yeah we're sort of we're just you know wary about that 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 kind of thing really licorice pizza i haven't mentioned just quickly before we, we go but um i loved i absolutely adored licorice pizza i know you didn't really have much um, music to write for that but I mean but that's still a tricky thing isn't it when there's so much needle drops as they call it in a film and you've still mm -hmm. got to facilitate something that doesn't that kind of you know that sort of fits within all, all those things. In a way it's nice because you get the feeling that you're writing music that's meant to be if you're writing music specifically to a scene and a moment then you're not appropriating another song or another piece of music. Mm -hmm. And if it works well, then you just end up underlining that the film is sincere, that it's serious. It's not just, you know, it's, I mean, it's such a funny film, but it's, I think like all of Paul's films, there's lots of laughter and lots of, lots of troll humor going on, but it's not just a joke, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Things it's got like, layers um, to it. Even things like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, Boogie Nights and all of his films, uh, they'll have sort of this strange kind of core down the centre, which is sort of deadly serious and all of these sort of very amusing things going on around the sides of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a strange tone, his films. That's why I like, you know, love Yeah. Them. He's such a unique filmmaker. It was uh, it was an absolute treat to get to chat to him and Alana actually uh, about it. He was, um, and I love that whole story of the connection about their mum being his art teacher when he was at school. That kind of blew my mind. That was such a weird small world vibes. I, I love it's such a lovely story. Mm -hmm. um, and Cooper Hoffman is phenomenal in this film as well. Oh my god, he's so good, so good. I, so yeah, good. I hope, I really hope that it's the start of a 
And I know that they've they've got a you know that Paul and, and Cooper have got this relationship, a real relationship of camera and and I really hope that it's something that they that they work on together for them to work together on a number of films because I just think that it could be, you know, when when you have a director who works with an actor over you know a number of films and you just see that growth and you see that exploration, I just hope that that's something that they they kind of continue and work on together because that's very exciting to think about. I think yeah anyway. yeah I agree yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. listen I've kept you for long enough and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to to talk to me it's been an absolute treat I hope we get to do it again at some point because there's there's a lot we didn't talk about so yeah thank you so much Johnny thank you Edith I'm sorry it's taken so long no hey worth waiting for worth waiting for totally that's sweet of you have a good day take care, take care. As used by the uber Radiohead fan Denis Villeneuve in Prisoners, that's Codex. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Johnny Greenwood. I can't believe it happened. My huge thanks to Johnny for joining us. It's genuinely an absolute thrill to have had the opportunity to spend so much time with him. And if you haven't seen any of the films that we've been talking about, do look them up as basically... He hasn't been involved in one single dud. Uh, if you want to hear my conversations with Lynn Ramsey and Pablo Laran, in which we discuss Johnny's scores in great depth, then head to edithbowman.com, where you'll also be able to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK and... Don't forget our wee YouTube channel where I'll pop up the videos of some of the incredible people we get to talk to uh, as and when is possible. And I'll stick up a few new ones this week. Next up, I'm going to self-combust. It's Johnny's mate, the genius that is PTA Paul Thomas Anderson. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.